This morning we're continuing our Giving It Up Lenten sermon series with a focus on giving up superiority. As we begin, I want to be clear about what the superiority I believe Jesus is asking us to give up and what is illustrated in the scripture Pastor Jerry just read. Uh, please do not confuse uh, superior, superiority with excellence. Uh, we should try to, to and give our personal best. Uh, so this is something different. The superiority that we should give up is a superiority that we hold uh, over others. When we think that we are better or smarter or worth more than someone else, this type of superiority inherently means that someone else is inferior and ultimately divides us from one another. Superiority in this sense is especially destructive because it denies the fact that God has instilled gifts and giftedness in every one of us. And if we are people who are created in the image of God uh, and we don't recognize the gifts that other, others bring, uh, then in fact we are also dishonoring God. Well, another name for superiority that we often hear in our world today is privilege. Uh, and while sometimes we do not fully grasp this concept, I'd like to encourage you to think about it more uh, fully. I'm pretty much uh, one of the poster boys, I think, for uh, privilege in America. I am um, male, I am white, I am straight, I am middle class, and I am educated. Uh, and now, that, while that doesn't mean that I have it easy and everything is just handed to me, uh, but these realities mean <clears throat> excuse me, that for me, I have a lot less distance to go than people who don't have these same advantages. <clears throat> Sorry, my <coughs> allergies are getting to me a little bit today. Uh, many of you know that I am a member of the leadership team for the Noblesville Community Diversity Coalition. In one of our uh, trainings recently, uh, we had someone uh, come and we participated in a privilege walk. Has anybody ever participated in a privilege walk before? Raise your hand if you have a couple people have. All right, well, if you haven't, uh, or if you have, uh, let me just explain a little bit about the concept. Basically, you get in a large room like this, and you line everybody up uh, in the middle, shoulder to shoulder. So everybody starts in the same place, and we're all facing in the same direction. Then the facilitator uh, reads a series of questions, uh, might be 20 or 30 of these questions, or start, not questions, statements, uh, and you take either a step forward or a step back uh, based on uh, your specific situation in life. Uh, then after all these questions are done, you look around and you see where you are at. Uh, so here's just a few of the questions, some examples uh, of the questions. If you're right-handed, take one step forward. You know, that one's kind of interesting. We don't always think about uh, right-handed people have some advantages, but I know like my brother-in-law, whenever we go out to dinner, he always has to sit in a specific spot so he's not banging into everybody with his elbow, you know, while he's trying to eat. Uh, if English is your first language, take one step forward. If one or both of your parents have a college degree, take one step forward. If you can find Band-Aids at mainstream stores designed to blend in with or match your skin tone, take one step forward. If you ever had to skip a meal or were hungry because there was not enough money to buy food, take one step back. If you can make mistakes and not have people attribute your behavior or flaws to your racial or gender group, take one step forward. If you have always assumed that you'll go to college, take one step forward. 
you have more than 50 books in your household, take one step forward. If you're ever accepted for something you applied to because of your association with a friend or family member, take one step forward. So as these questions uh, reveal, uh, privilege is a real thing. And some of the people that, that did this, I had done it one time before. But when you get finished and you realize where you are, when you all started in exactly the same place, but just on things that you really had nothing to do with. Like if you're right-handed, you're just right-handed. If you're left-handed, you're just left-handed. Uh, if you're uh, whatever race you are, all of these things, um, you know, but we got moved up. And at the end, uh, the gentleman that was standing next to me, all the way on this far wall, uh, we couldn't go any farther because we ran into the wall. And as we turned around, he was very moved because he saw some of our colleagues all the way against their backs against this wall. And if the room was bigger, they could have gone even farther that way. And while we may not, while we may not uh, like it or intentionally use privilege to hold others down, we must be aware of it, and those of us who have more of it need to be particularly aware, uh, because if we are not aware, we can hold that privilege, even inadvertently, over others in destructive and in dehumanizing ways. In the rest of our time this morning, I want to just focus back here uh, with a deeper look at our scripture reading today on the Samaritan woman at the well, a text that shows privilege is nothing new. Uh, you may have noticed that Jesus has a unique talent for ignoring signs and stepping over barriers. Uh, as pastors, it's kind of funny. We, we kind of joke sometimes, especially when I was a chaplaincy intern, that if you have a, a clergy badge in the hospital, you can just about go scrub up for surgery. Uh, you know, um, nobody questions you. You can just kind of walk around like you own the place, and, and, and that's just the way it, it is. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. So uh, I think the idea was just that, don't worry, I'm not scrubbing into any of your surgeries. You know, I, I don't like blood very well, so, you know, I, I wouldn't be there long. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, privilege. That's what we're talking about. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> uh, no. The idea of ignoring the signs and the barriers, you know, sometimes our privilege lets us do that. Uh, he almost seemed to enjoy it. He enjoys crossing over. So maybe there's something to that fact. You know, maybe he recognizes that your life could be enriched and expanded by encountering others, not diminished. Um, so I think that's a, that's a key point here, uh, that Jesus seems to enjoy breaking down these walls. Well, as he and his disciples are headed back to Jerusalem, they have a choice to make. Uh, and Jesus chooses the route through Samaria much to his disciples' chagrin. Uh, they can't imagine uh, their lives could be enriched or expanded by an encounter with the Samaritans uh, because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. In fact, they were uh, pretty much enemies. Samaritans were considered the lowest of the low, unclean, unworthy, and not worthy of giving the time of day. And yet Jesus chooses, I think, intentionally to go this way. 
One of the reasons the disciples went ahead to get food was probably because they didn't want to encounter any Samaritans at the well, especially anyone that would be there gathering water at noon. When every self-respecting person would have come in the early morning when it was cooler. But yet Jesus chooses to go this way. It's interesting, too, I think, that in contrast um, to Nicodemus, when he came, you know, when Nicodemus came, he came, we talked about last week, he came at night, didn't he? He came at night so others would not see him encountering Jesus. And yet here, when Jesus wants to have an encounter, he doesn't do it under the cover of darkness, he does it at high noon, when the light is as bright as it will be. Tired from the route through Samaria, Jesus sits and he rests as a woman from the village comes to draw her water for the day. Unlike others she, uh, who we've encountered in the Gospel of John, the Samaritan woman doesn't know who Jesus is, other than the fact he's a thirsty Jewish stranger. But he seems to know her, and we come to know her too. We know her tasks, about her well, her water jar. We can imagine the beads of sweat on her forehead in the the midst of the heat of an afternoon sun when the story says that she arrives. It means she's arriving at an uncomfortable and inconvenient time. She seems to be avoiding the crowds that would have been there in the cool of the morning. We come to understand that she's isolated and lonely and an outsider, even though she's part of this community. Notice how in this place, seemingly removed from everyone else, Jesus finds her. There's good reason for him not to talk to her, just like there's often reasons for for us not to cross over and talk to people that are different than us. But yet Jesus initiates. He starts to tell her about water that can gush up in her as eternal life, living water that will quench what is dry and run amidst the cracks of her life. Every time he sees a convention that would keep uh, keep him from her, he crosses over it. And she knows that he knows more about her than she has shared. So she pushes back to see where this living water will come from, until finally he tells her everything that he knows about her. He eventually invites her to call her husband, and when she replies that she has no husband, he agrees, you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. We often make this into a judgmental statement of Jesus. It's not clear that that's what it is. We don't know the circumstances of her having five husbands. She may be a widow. She may have been divorced, which the woman didn't have control of in those days. But Jesus here uh, makes it clear there's nothing that she can say because as she keeps talking, he knows everything about her. He knows it already, and still he sits close by, and he offers her living water. 
It is telling. Jesus is powerful, and yet he humbles himself. He does not hold his power over her. He empties himself so he can have a conversation with her, to show compassion toward her. Jesus comes to her and shows and teaches her that she can be transformed, that her life is worth transformation. He spends time in love and care with her, even though the cultural norms would say that he should not even talk to her. It is like Jesus is saying, I love you just as you are, and you are worthy of being transformed. Yes, she wonders where the living water will come from, but Jesus talks about a God who comes to you, who is not just here at a well, but is everywhere. A God who we can find on the mountaintop, in a sanctuary, in the streets, in the hospital room, in the nursing home, and even in the classroom. And this leads me then to wonder, are we open to the way that God is already present in all of these places and in all people? Are we willing to humble ourselves to give or receive God's grace and care? Are we willing to follow the example of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. The woman questions Jesus because he comes to her and he really sees her. And that causes her to ask him questions. When I taught first grade a long time ago, um, I can hardly remember it now, um, I had a kid one time ask me, why do you treat me different than my other teachers? I think it was in the lunchroom, probably, because that's where most of our trouble at my school at the time happened. Uh, and unfortunately, we didn't have the blessing of uh, lunch aids and things of that nature, so we had to do all the duties ourselves. And, and the reason why I treated him differently was because of Jesus. It's probably the beginning of the end of my career in public education, um, because I realized that um, I couldn't and I didn't want to, sh to, to hide that reality, because that was the only reason why I treated him differently than some of the other teachers, because I wanted to yell at him too. But I didn't because of Jesus and recognizing that he too was a beloved child of God. And there's sometimes I'm sure that somebody wants to yell at me too. <laughs> so I'm wondering, are we living questionable lives? A life that makes others ask questions of us? If not, maybe we all need a good dose of this living water. Look at how the woman responds. She responds by going and telling others. She can't keep this good news to herself. This one who is the savior of the world he knows everything about me, and yet he didn't run away, but he stayed 
and he loves me, and he says that I can be transformed and I can experience this living water. And the good news is, for her and for us, it is that Jesus continues to come to us in love and care wherever we find ourselves. Maybe you've been a person who has felt limited or restricted or separated. Maybe you've been kept from the water in some way. Or maybe at times in your life you've been the one keeping others from drinking deeply, from drawing what they need. It's been our way throughout human history at wells no less than water fountains. And if we don't feel worthy, Jesus still comes to us. God offers us the living water, and then we are to respond by taking that living water out to others. So this day, be washed in the living water of Christ's redeeming grace. Give up your superiority that keeps you from the fullness of human expression. Break down the walls that divide and then go and let your life be a witness to the one who transforms us all with his deep, abiding, and transforming love.